listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. It's definitely a time that we need to be raising people's awareness of the importance of preserving our startup ecosystem and our scale-up ecosystem as well. We are faced with a bit of a paradox. These sorts of downturns are invariably associated with tightening capital markets. And, you know, newer, more experimental asset classes are usually the hardest hit on the one hand. And then on the other hand, from a consumer demand point of view, there has never been more demand for digitally delivered services than there is now. Well, hi everyone. I'm Michael Bennett, the editor of Westpac Wire, and today I'm joined by Simon Camp, the co-founder of VC firm Reinventure. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Michael. Now, Simon, in in these crazy times like none of us have ever seen before, I I thought it would be great Mm. to get your views on what COVID-19 means for the fintech sector, given it'll basically be the first time the industry has been through a recession, and I imagine the economy will probably look a bit different afterwards too. So Mm. I thought we could get into some of that. But just before we do, some quick background for our listeners. From memory, you guys started reInventure around 2014 and have made around 30 investments in various fintech startups in Australia and overseas. Also, a little disclaimer just right up front um, is Westpac uh, backed reInventure from the start and has committed about $150 to its three funds. And... If, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically it's set up like some other private equity and VC funds where the bank is an investor or a, a sort of limited partner in the funds and you guys and your team run the funds at arm's length. It's set up as what's called an ESVCLP, an early stage venture capital limited partnership, which is a vehicle that exists under the Venture Capital Act. And it's the same sort of vehicle that was established by each of the independent venture funds out there. So yeah, we've also been set up like that and it means we, we do operate independently of Westpac. Westpac is a, a limited partner. Obviously, we maintain an extremely close working relationship with Westpac and there's a, a kind of deep relationship of trust. Yeah, for sure. Just stepping back a bit, uh, reflecting on the last few months, uh, your business is obviously, you, you've still got to run reinventure. It, it is a business. Yeah. You, you know, you've got yeah. to run the operations. It's a pretty crazy time with working from home and kids running around in the background and everything. But yeah. your your business is unique in that you actually invest in a heap of other uh, companies out there, which you've got to stay close with as well. So how have you actually day to day sort of juggling juggling this and, and keeping in touch with the portfolio companies? It's one of those interesting things where I think most of the startup and venture sector. To be honest, there hasn't been that dramatic an impact in the way, certainly, that we deal with our portfolio. Almost 90% of our engagement was virtual with the portfolio anyway. It was either phone calls or um, teleconferences or Zoom conferences or what have you. So we've moved to it reasonably quickly, and it's and it's been interesting and, and reasonably seamlessly. Um, and it's actually been interesting to see also our ventures so um, have had largely the same experience. So there are two or three of our ventures that operate call centers. All of them are operating on the latest call center technology, and so they move seamlessly to work from home call centers. And there's been almost no hiccup in those call centers. Whereas I think for a number of major companies that operate call centers have really struggled through this period. Most of them are operating on older style dialer technologies, and they've had to upgrade very rapidly to technologies that can 
um, operate in easily in a work from home context. And I think, you know, a lot of major companies have also struggled with offshoring call centers because a number of those offshoring arrangements, I think, are more challenging when it comes to work from home. So, you know, there have been a number of areas in which it's, it's just been interesting to see how seamlessly the ventures are able to adapt to this sort of environment because this is exactly the kind of um, dynamic environment and virtual environment that um, most startups were built from natively. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a that's an interesting point that um probably don't always think of that it's sort of the way they um come to be, isn't it? So they they're probably pretty used to it. Are, are there any themes or you know constants in what they're coming to you for support? I imagine that the obvious ones around funding and customer acquisition and maybe bad debt. Um, but is there anything common that, that that they're asking you about? Well, I mean, look, I think every company in the country has had to look at, there are definitely some notable exceptions and there are some notable exceptions in our portfolio as well. But most companies have had to look at a a drop in revenue, a drop in consumer spending and therefore a drop in revenue. And so, you know, I think across the venture industry, a number of companies have had to let go of some percentage of their their team in order to ensure that their own viability is is um, assured. That's that's really difficult, and that's difficult for large companies, and it's difficult for small companies. But I think for high growth ventures, you know, when you're dealing with teams that are in the tens, not in the thousands, you know, they're very personal relationships that people have built, and that has been the most challenging thing. Um, to work through. And so, you know, a lot of the help that we've looked to try and provide our ventures with is around helping them and their people deal with the emotional journey of, you know, these these fairly wrenching changes that are going on. There's also been a lot of support that we've been providing simply in terms of packaging up resources, how-to resources around accessing government grants, around what the different options are in terms of cost reductions. You know, for a number of companies, for example, they've moved to more of a part-time rather than making people redundant, they've opted wherever possible to move to part-time arrangements. All of these sorts of things we've been working very closely with our companies on. And that's been both one-on-one work um, we've also arranged Zoom conferences between our CEOs so that they can discuss how they're approaching things and what some of the challenges they're seeing and some of the solutions they've come up with. Yeah, I think the community has probably proven to be more useful than ever, but also that one-on-one work with the CEOs and founders, um, I, I think is probably more important than ever as well. Yeah, and we've seen some of those issues you point out, like the sad job losses and, and revenue impacts play out in the in the listed fintech players already in their updates yeah. to investors. So it's obviously a common common theme. But you, yeah. you you sort of made you made the point that I'm wondering how big a risk is the fact that a lot of these companies are sort of pre profitability and we're about to enter basically the first credit cycle since the global financial crisis when a lot of fintech and broader startups just weren't even alive then. So it's really the first time they're going to be tested. So I'm wondering how resilient you think a lot of them are. Yeah, look, I think it, it's re- I think it's actually quite variable across the sector. One of the things we feel quite fortunate about, we've got a team, for example, within Society One that's got pretty deep financial services experience. You know, actually a, a number of the team there actually 
out of incumbents, including the CEO, Mark, who's out of Westpac. Their experience in traditional banking, I think, has been absolutely invaluable at this time. You know, Society One reacted extremely quickly, tightening up its credit policy um, by degrees in a number of ways. And, you know, I think I feel more fortunate than ever that, again, I think that relationship has, has served us well in that context. Um, the experience of that team has served us well in that context. Yeah, but I think it is variable. So I think, you know, when they moved, I think it was quite a while before they saw some of the other fintechs move. So I think it's very dependent from kind of management team to management team, as it were. How that all plays out, I guess, will be known in the next few few months, probably. But, you know, I think some of the wholesale providers are going to get a, a very clear understanding of, of which of the firms they've backed um, have the capability to deal with this kind of dynamic environment and which don't. So yeah, it's going to be it's definitely going to be a testing time for fintechs, for lenders particularly. But I think for all ventures, it's, it's going to be a testing time. I think the fact that they're pre-profit, there's no doubt that that makes it even more challenging. There's a, there is a flip side to that, which is that you know in this kind of environment, the the bigger the revenue, kind of the more the bigger the impact, as it were, when your revenue falls off a cliff. So I think for some pre-revenue companies, and, and there are a couple of our companies that are pre-revenue, they're able to use this period just to sort of put their heads down um, and just really focus on on product development. Uh, there's more talent available in the market than there ever has been. So it's actually proving to be quite a, a, a great opportunity for some of them. The, the fact that some of ours are, are pre-profit, as I said, yes, it's challenging, but I think the flip side of it is um, they've reacted very promptly and I think they're taking measures to ensure that they can get, to, we've, we've worked with them to ensure that um, we can get to the other side of this crisis. So, you know, we're talking to our companies about ensuring that they've got runway through to the end of 2021. And I think the dynamism that this has sort of pushed them into, in some way it sets their business up really well because they've, they've realized what can be done in some cases on, um, a lighter resource base, et cetera. So, you know, I think there'll be both, there, there are definitely hits in this environment, but there'll also be some really interesting and surprising wins to come out of it as well. Yeah, and it would seem to me it would be in everyone's interest for as many of these to get through this period as possible, given the ramifications of potentially entrepreneurialism and, and innovation, and you know, that we've seen in the last, 10 years as the fintech sector has basically exploded in Australia and around the world. Totally. Um, it'd be a really sh real shame if that, and everyone would feel it if, if that went away overnight. Totally. And look, we are faced with a bit of a paradox. These sorts of downturns are invariably associated with tightening capital markets. And, you know, newer, more experimental asset classes are usually the hardest hit on the one hand. And then on the other hand, there has never been, um, from a consumer demand point of view, there has never been more demand for digitally delivered services than there is now. <laughs> so the opportunity is is almost at its maximum. You know, from my, I understand that some of the digital retailers, for example, some of the incumbents have seen the sort of demand they were forecasting five years from now. They've seen it happen in a month in terms of the growth rate. So, you know, it's absolutely transforming consumer appetite for digital services. So I think it's actually critical, both from a government, from an incumbent and corporate perspective, 
that we recognise that this is a call to lean into transformation and lean into um, building our venture community more aggressively than ever. Because the danger, if we don't, is that the, the, the players that will dominate this space will be the large US incumbent digital players who have, you know, the resources to easily see through this challenging period. Um, in many cases, their businesses are growing rather than shrinking. If there is not enough capital to support some of these up-and-coming ventures, then you definitely expect some of these large digital players to, you know, just be opportunistic about picking some of these new innovations up uh, at a much lower price than they might have otherwise. And that would be, I think, a real tragedy for the venture community generally, but particularly the venture community in this country that has built so much learning and and so much capability in the last five or six years, um, more, I think, than in any time in Australian venture capital and venturing history. So, um, you know, I think, I think governments need to be extremely mindful because this may be a potential market failure if we're not careful. Yeah, it does seem like it's a real negative byproduct of economic crises in that often concentration across industries feels like it does go up, which is obviously to the detriment of competition and consumers. But it it, it seems like the government is doing or is quite committed to the space. I I, I know Andrew Bragg's got his inquiry that seems to still be going on. Yeah, yeah. So, look, things like the wage subsidy have been incredibly helpful for some of our ventures, and the government's been very responsive to hearing you know, how do we ensure that this is tailored to address, you know, companies that don't look like a traditional company? So they were quite quick to understand that high growth ventures, a 30% drop in revenue for a high growth venture does not look like a, a, a 30% drop in current revenue does not look like a 30% drop from a year ago's revenue. You know, typically they'd be 50 or 100% above last year's revenue. So getting to 30% below last year's revenue at this time is is a, an incredible uh, would be an incredible drop in revenue. I think the government's recognised that fairly quickly and are looking to and have have sort of made adaptations to ensure that that high growth ventures can can fall under some of those definitions as well. So, but there's no doubt that you know I think government is overwhelmed with policy creation at the moment just to deal with this crisis on a health level which is, I think, um, critical and on a broader economic level. But, you know, we do have, we definitely have a prime minister who is a fintech champion. And I think that that's probably a great thing right now or hopefully will be a great thing over the next couple of years. Um, he, as treasurer, you know, really led the charge within the government to supporting fintech. So I would expect that we'll continue to see more of that once the immediate, you know, emergency policies have been dealt with that are sort of more macro and, and cross-economy. So, yeah, look, I would expect some support to come through, but, you know, it's definitely a time that we need to be raising people's awareness of the importance of preserving our startup ecosystem and our, our, our scale-up ecosystem as well.
And just to end on, you guys obviously invested across a really diverse space. You've spoken about peer-to-peer lending already with Society One, but you're, you're across yeah. financial data, you're across data, you know, even parts of real estate, etc. So yeah. there must be some other positives coming out of this. I, I, I'm oh, already talking about the, the yeah. digital shift that we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, no, so they're absolutely positive. Uh, you know, if you look at even a business like Hey You, so Hey You did four times the trade this Easter than it's done in, in any previous Easter. So Hey You turns out to be the ideal social distancing app. If you want to order a coffee, not hand over cash, or even actually use a credit card on a device, Hey is the ideal way to do it. If you want to make sure you're not standing in a queue where you're likely to be too close to somebody, Hey You is the ideal way to do it. It's the, it's the ideal kind of um, takeaway facilitation tool. So we've seen higher downloads and new active customers than we've ever seen in any similar period previously. We've seen higher demand from new venues than we've ever seen in a similar period previously. And as I said, we just did um, Easter at four times the level um, that, than we've ever done at Easter before. So Hayu's doing incredibly well out of this environment. But then you've got others. I mean, obviously, indebted, you know, one of the challenging things is that a lot of people are facing financial hardship. One of the beauties of a business like indebted, so indebted's primary focus is, is a debt collection tool. Um, it's a technology-enabled um, debt collection, whereas most debt collection in the market is, is people-driven, right? But one of the big things that distinguishes Indebted from any other debt collection company is they measure their staff on customer satisfaction. So they have more, they have, um, I think, hundreds of positive trust pilot ratings from people who've had money, who've had debts collected off them. Their whole focus and the way they measure their team is, as I said, customer satisfaction. And I think a lot of companies are recognizing at this time that having a compassionate and customer-empowering approach to debt collection is more important than ever, as well as one that's 10x more efficient than a human-based um, debt collection service. So it's doing um, incredibly well during this period. Um, and I think it's, it's, again, it's one of those, with technology, doesn't just come efficiency, but can come an entirely new way of thinking about the problem. Um, which is much more customer-centric than more traditional ways. And I think Indebted embodies that more than any other. Um, we've got other companies like Curious Thing, which basically is a an AI interviewer. So it's a, a robot that conducts interviews. One of its largest customers is actually a call center operator who's having to hire like crazy at the moment, and they use Curious Thing to do the first round interviews for their hiring. So they are seeing more demand than ever for their for their hiring robot. So yeah, there are definitely stories um, across the portfolio where things are really, you know, transforming for the better, I should say. Even some of the, the more traditional companies uh, are probably getting into a stronger, uh, not more traditional, but um, what would I say? Um, more uh, traditional categories like lending, like super, et cetera. Um, I think they're seeing this as an opportunity to set their businesses up to really ensure their product development gets into a better, into um, a strong position and to set themselves up um, even more strongly for the future than they went into this crisis. So, you know, I think there's definitely some positives to come out of it. And, you know, it's a dynamic environment that's always going to create opportunity. 
Yeah, exactly. I guess the, the reality is we're only a couple of months into it. But uh, yeah, which is which is pretty amazing in itself. But um, look, Simon, I'm conscious of your t- I'm conscious of your time. But look, thanks a lot. Amazing insights, and um, all the best for it. Thanks, Michael. Great to chat, and um, hopefully, hopefully, we'll all be able to get out out of our pajamas and leave the kids at home again at some point in the future. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very good way to end on. All right. Yeah. Thanks all a lot, right, mate. You take care. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.